Welcome back to Financial Therapy. It's not just about the money. I'm personal financial planner, columnist, and financial therapist, Rick Kaler. Research tells us that 90% of all financial decisions are made emotionally, not logically. For nearly four decades, I've been helping people make better money decisions. So what makes my financial worldview different from most financial experts? I blend the nuts and bolts of financial advice with the emotions that drive making them. Good money decisions are not just about the money. So let's get started with today's episode. Welcome to another edition. And to pick up a little bit where we left off last week, I want to continue to talking about emotions and money. Last time we talked a lot about feelings and how those play into making really good financial decisions. Today I want to talk about, you know, what, what do you do when you find yourself in a state of being financially stuck? Now, uh, stuck <laughs> is not exactly a professional word, but I think uh, it's, a, it's a word that all of us can relate to. I think all of us have been stuck in some form or fashion at, at least once in our life. I know I have. And I took a look in the uh, dictionary for the definition of stuck. And one uh, definition was that it's um, describing something that is frozen or fixed in a place and can't be moved. I think that's pretty reasonable description. We can be stuck in almost any financial task. We can be stuck around earning more money, kind of feeling we're stuck in a job that is going nowhere. We can feel stuck in our economic situation as if we don't have any choices. We can definitely get stuck around estate planning. I see this all the time. And probably the most um, common place to be stuck around estate planning is a couple that has children and they just can't agree on who would be the guardian if both of them were taken. And sometimes the will never happens. The estate plan never happens because of being stuck around that issue. We can uh, be stuck in drawing up powers of attorney. Who's going to make financial decisions for us if we can't? Who's going to make health decisions for us when we can't? We can definitely be stuck around investing. We can be stuck in um, taking too much risk, kind of perhaps in a way being addicted to the risk. We can be stuck in not taking enough risk and just seemingly not able to get out of that um, particular place. We can be stuck on being dependent on another person or organization or government entity for our existence. We can get stuck around reducing expenses. You know, I'm just stuck. I just, I can't find anything to to cut or reduce. We can get stuck on setting up a retirement plan or setting up some type of a savings plan. I mean, I suppose I could spend the 
whole half hour here <laughs> going over all the places that we can get stuck. And I came up with a, another definition of being stuck, which really is just an adaption of uh, a definition of insanity. So um, I'm thinking that a, another definition is when we do the same thing over and over, expecting different results, but getting the same result that is um, stuck, like treading water, right? If you've ever dog paddle, that can be a good example of being stuck. I think budgeting is a really good example of how we get into these places. We can resolve, for example, with a budget, we can resolve to go on a budget and things go great till the third week of the month and Johnny breaks his arm, ends up in the emergency department. Budget's blown. Next month, we start at it again. Things are going fine. And then the car transmission goes out and there goes the budget. And we start again the next month. And it was great until there's this really unexpected school expense that comes up and blows it. And this just can go on and on until eventually a person just gives up and says, I can't budget or it doesn't work. And uh, it's like, you know, after a couple stabs at doing this, it's just uh, not going anywhere. And I think that makes that that's pretty good evidence is if we do something like that and we remain stuck, I think it's evidence that our behaviors or our beliefs or the method that we're using to get unstuck isn't working. There's something else going on. And usually the stuckness is anchored in some type of unconscious, emotional, and financial dysfunction. And the key here is that it's unconscious. Uh, we don't know what we don't know. And we just keep doing it harder with the same result. It's kind of like, my money script that um, you got to work hard for money. And uh, it used to be when the, the money didn't, when I worked hard and the money didn't come in, what was my solution? Well, then work harder. And oftentimes that doesn't work. Another thing that pops to mind is if you've ever been stuck, your car has ever been stuck living in South Dakota Usually, if my car gets stuck, it's stuck in a snowbank. Back in the days when, when my only office was uh, at my office, about three miles away, and that, the only place I could work efficiently was there, and I would um, be pretty courageous in uh, uh, boondocking over snowbanks to get into the office. Of course, with the pandemic, I don't need to do that anymore because I have a wonderful home office. But I digress. Think about when your car gets really stuck or your truck in, a, in mud or a snowbank, right? There comes a point where we decide we're stuck. You know, you rock it. You do everything, what you what, do all that you can. And you, you have this realization, nope, I'm not getting out without some help. So we call for help, right? 
usually, I don't think we think anything of it. There might be a little embarrassment, a little shame, depending <laughs> how the stuck happened, but usually not enough to where we just abandon the car, right? And say, nope, I am not calling for help. Oh my God, what will people say? So I've always said the same thing. When we get stuck financially, we need to enlist the help of someone, a trusted friend, a financial mentor, a financial planner, a financial therapist, somebody that can help us get unstuck. And yet, calling a tow truck is exponentially easier than calling a financial professional for some help. The shame associated with being stuck in a vehicle is far less than the shame associated with being financially stuck. So, you know, why, why, why is that? Why are we so willing to call for help in one situation but not another? Well, most of us feel a ton of shame that something is wrong with us if we don't do money well. We don't have that same shame if our car's stuck. But if we don't do money well, the money scripts we have, what society tells us is there's just a ton of shame. There's this idea that something's wrong with us. We must just be terminally stupid. So we don't call for help. We hope the problem goes away or we try to figure it out ourselves. And that's typically the place that I go to. Maybe not so much with money, but certainly emotionally, right? And we know, obviously, this podcast is about the relationship between emotions and money. So I'll tell myself, okay, I've got to find the right book. I've got to find the right video. Uh, maybe I can find something on YouTube. And maybe I can cure myself without involving somebody else, right? Let's reduce the shame. I won't have to bring in a third party to let them see how terribly messed up. And maybe this will work. So I love to, to, to read and I hated um, therapy because that was a sign something was broken with you. I didn't want to do therapy. So I tried to read myself to emotional wellness for years and it doesn't uh, really work. And the same thing can, can be true of financial wholeness too. You can try for years and if it is emotionally anchored, reading ourselves to wellness around money is just not going to work. So let's, let's just say it's highly unlikely. You can think of it in a way like playing golf or playing baseball or playing basketball. Highly unlike that a person's going to read a book and be able to go out and execute perfectly on, on doing any of those sports. And typically, even when you do, even when you've read the book, you need a coach. You need a coach to personalize it to your situation. So I think becoming emotionally and uh, financially whole 
and uh, developing well-being in those areas just doesn't happen in a vac uh, vacuum whatsoever. I, I'm thinking of a client that I had that was just beating herself up and feeling a ton of shame because her business wasn't making a profit. And I asked her, how long have you been in business? And she said, well, I've been in business for six months. And oh, I, I don't want any of my peers to find out I'm not making a profit. Well, I thought, how about that? <laughs> I asked her, well, are, are you taking a salary out of the business? Because usually people equate profit with salary, especially small business owners. They'll say, I made a profit of X last year. Well, really, that was was their salary. She says, yeah, I'm taking out a salary. It's a little low, but there's still nothing left for profit. And she just felt so much shame she was telling me this. And I asked her, well, would you like a little information? I actually asked her if the part of herself that was beating her up would like some information. And she says, yeah, yeah, I would like some information. And I told her it usually takes a business three to five years to become profitable. And of course, some small businesses never become profitable. Even large businesses never become profitable in that period of time. And she was just so surprised. And uh, just, it's just like immediately somebody flipped the switch and the shame just lifted and the relief on her face was palpable. So that's a situation where getting a little bit more information can sometimes be helpful. But oftentimes, just getting a little bit more information doesn't necessarily get us unstuck because it's about so much more. All right. So when, when I am interviewed on this topic by reporters, they typically uh, do not like the response of, uh, when they say, well, what can I do? What, what can a person do? And I say, well, probably go hire a professional to help them or do their own uh, work, emotional work around the money. And that doesn't sell well because it's not a sound bite. And a reporter is looking for, here's the three things you can do to fix yourself. So a reporter recently asked me this, and <laughs> I'm just like... Okay, let's try to come up with something for the person who says, no, I want to read my way to health first. And maybe let's give them some things that could be helpful if they actually would do them. Of course, that's another, that's a, a whole other issue. So I said, well, the first thing that a person can do is to become curious about the stuck part of you, to become an observer, a curious observer. Okay, now this is usually opposite of what we do because we usually shame and criticize that part of ourself that's stuck. So what we could do is to get curious about this part, ask the parts of us that are shaming and, and uh, want to get rid of this part just to relax and step back and, and ask yourself, what would it fear would happen? if it became unstuck? Or what is it trying to accomplish? What hope does it have by staying stuck? And if we really tune in and listen, 
we usually can find out some really incredible information. So usually all these parts of ourselves are attempting to accomplish something that is um, for our own good in the way that it's being viewed. Okay, it's a good intention. So uh, that's the first thing to do is become a curious observer of that part of you that's stuck. Then uh, the second thing is to realize that you're not that behavior, that you are not stuck, that you are not stupid. That behavior does not define you. It, it's just like uh, a child, if you have a child. And as a parent, you say, shame on you for filling your milk, shame on you for running into the street. You're bad to do that. Or shame on you for hitting your brother or whatever. Whoever, that's bad. You're bad to do that, right? Now, that's really damaging language because what a child hears is they are bad, not their behavior is bad. It took me a long time to understand this, and, and words matter. You might say, oh, come on, that's wrong. No, words matter. It's far more accurate to say, you're a good girl, you're a good boy. However, hitting your sister is, is just not appropriate behavior. The behavior is what is lacking, not your being. Okay, and you've heard me say this over and over and over again, even the most illogically seeming financial behavior makes perfect sense when we find out the core belief. In almost every case, there's an underlying good intention within the system, even when the behavior seems to be hurtful to someone else. Okay, so separate yourself from your behavior. Then a third thing, and this was um, in the book uh, Facilitating Financial Health that I co-authored, is start a dialogue with your behavior. We call it the money dialogue in the book. And this is a, a pretty insightful exercise. It's um, used in uh, Gestalt called the um, empty chair exercise. And I've seen this used with phenomenal success over the years where uh, if you're having some fear around something you don't understand, you have two chairs, then you speak, you pretend your fear is in the other chair and you speak to your fear like, what are you about? I, I don't understand why you are, are so big. Then you actually physically switch, go to the other chair and you answer as fear. Well, you just don't, aren't listening to me. Then you switch and you respond to that. Well, what do you mean? Not listening to you and what? And then you switch, okay? So the money dialogue's doing this, but you're doing it on paper. You're not having to switch back and forth. And you just start off writing, you know, what you say, what uh, the money behavior would say back to you, what you would say. And this can go on for many, many rounds have my students do this in the graduate class that I teach and many of them find 
this is one of the most helpful exercises that they do, often results in some pretty interesting information. So uh, try that. The fifth thing is to become aware of what you're feeling. All right. And the last podcast went into that in spades. I'll just summarize that when, whenever you're making this money decision or, or you're stuck, ask yourself what you're, you're feeling. And remember, a feeling is one word. A feeling is not a statement. And in our society, when a person says, what do you feel about that? You usually hear a statement, right? Well, I'm thinking this is a really dumb purchase. No, that's not what you're feeling. What are you feeling? Scared? Happy? Fearful? Hurt? So focus on what you are feeling and get down to that bedrock. It's amazing how just naming what I am feeling can shift things. And then uh, uh, if you haven't listened to that podcast, listen to that podcast. That will give you some other perspective on that. The fifth thing is meditation. Now, this can help a lot with the feeling part, right? can be really helpful in quieting your mind and looking for feelings. Feelings start as sensations. So what you do is you want to let go of the thoughts and let the feelings be. Be kind of like a body scan, searching for feelings in your body. So... This can really, really help because feeling is not uh, taught to us how to feel. And oftentimes we think we're feeling and all we're doing is talking about the feelings. And number six, the final thing is tell another human being about your behavior. At this point, you're probably saying, whoa, 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 Rick, you said you're going to give us six things. (laughs) How we can do this ourselves? Well, if that's the case, stop with number five. <laughs> but tell someone else about your behavior, okay? It doesn't have to be a financial professional, but it does need to be someone you trust, someone who is safe, and someone who you are pretty darn sure isn't going to shame you. Why? Well, there is a, a saying in therapeutic circles that we are only as sick as our secrets. And we carry so much shame around our secrets, or at least what we think are secrets, okay? That's important to understand. And one of the most powerful things I've ever experienced is when I have admitted to another human being my shame, my shortcomings, what's going on, When they listen to that and say something like, oh, wow, yeah, yeah, I get it. I have the same problem. I've done the same thing. And the relief that can come from, you're kidding me. But just articulating that and getting that out can be so free and so healing, both emotionally and financially. And then once you've done that, um, you may internalize and become more understanding of the benefit of 
uh, having that trusted person in your life that you can process these things with, that can be a facilitator and guide for you so that you can begin to modify these behaviors and uh, further go down the road uh, a little bit further toward financial well-being. So I hope this has been uh, helpful to you. And uh, again, I uh, appreciate hearing from you, appreciate thoughts that you have, questions that you have. You can always email me at rick at rickkaler.com. So thank you and take care. Thanks for joining me, Rick Kaler, for another episode of Financial Therapy. It's not just about the money. This is where I combine the nuts and bolts of financial advice with the emotions that drive making them. Remember, every financial behavior, whether it appears illogical to you or others, makes perfect sense when we understand the underlying beliefs, feelings, and thoughts. Sign up for my weekly blog at financialawakenings.com. I hope you'll join me again for our next episode.